Happy Father's Day. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's good. You know what's really funny? The response to that was a lot stronger on Mother's Day. I just thought I'd kind of point that out. We said Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Father's Day. So everybody, yeah, Happy Mother's Day. I want to ask you a question. Guys, the dads in the house. First of all, how many dads are here this morning? Let me see a show of hands. The dads in the house. That's awesome. Awesome. Now, dads, how many of you have already this morning received a Father's Day gift or a card, some socks or a tie or maybe some cologne? If you, you know, that working on that Ralph Lauren Chaps cologne, remember that from back in the day? You know, Father's Day, I get fired up for Father's Day, not only because I am one, but I get fired up. Somebody else is fired up for Father's Day. <laughs> Because of what's possible. Because I believe that when we gather on Father's Day as a church family, that the dads amongst us are going to be encouraged and affirmed. Because I believe with everything that I have that most dads, the vast majority, not all, but the vast majority of fathers are doing the absolute best that they can and working hard at what they do. And I believe that God sincerely wants to affirm and encourage those dads who are making that effort day in and day out. I also believe, yeah, we can clap for those dads, absolutely. <clears throat> I also believe that in this time that we get, that God can alter the trajectory of families and equip and encourage dads to maybe do things differently than they've ever thought about doing them before, to encourage and equip dads to all of a sudden step into that role, that sacred role of fatherhood that God created, that God instituted in a fresh and a new way, in a way that causes families to sit back and go, whoa, what happened to dad? in a good way, in a way that causes moms, sons, and daughters to all of a sudden begin to see not only their father, but the world and potentially their heavenly father differently, maybe for the first time. Now, if you've been around Lake Hills Church for any amount of time at all, you know that I've shared with you frequently that my family was, I came from a divorced household, that my parents divorced when I was 12. My dad kind of hit the eject button on our family, and it began a very, very challenging time for me as an adolescent guy growing up. And, and those things are all very, very true. But I will tell you this. Today, when I think about my dad, the divorce is not the first thing that I think about. Those those years of kind of superficial, how's the weather relationship that we had before he passed away when I was in college, and really we had kind of made amends and had our relationship back on a more solid footing, those are not the times that I remember. When I think about my dad today, I think about parties. I think about parties that he and my mom used to throw before they got divorced when they would invite people over to the house and they'd have just scads of friends come over and hang out and dad would break out the LP records. You know, for those of you who don't know, that's what people used to listen to music on. And dad would put a stack of LPs on his turntable and, and <clears throat> the music would just kind of start blaring downstairs, but we would all get ushered upstairs to go to bed, the kids. 
And we would be upstairs. And this would, listen, for those of you who don't know, too, we didn't have TVs in our rooms upstairs. We didn't have playrooms. The playroom was the closet. But that was kind of how we grew up back in the day. And I remember, you know, at a certain point, my mom would come upstairs and say, okay, it's time to go to bed. Y'all go to bed. But the noise was still kind of coming upstairs through the ceiling and muffled noise. And I remember trying to go to sleep on those nights. And I, I can remember, you know, you can hear that there's music playing downstairs and people are talking kind of loud or whatever. But there's one sound that I could always pick out of that crowd noise. And that was the sound of my dad's laughter. My dad had a laugh that filled up our house. It was, it was real high-pitched and very, very loud. I don't know where, it, apparently that skipped a generation somehow, but it was very, very loud, and it came from deep down in his belly. And I can remember at an age when I wasn't old enough to really realize it, when I was trying to go to sleep and I heard my dad's laugh, I knew that everything was okay. I knew that we were safe. I knew that he and my mom were having fun. And, and I, I remember watching my mom and dad jitterbug in our living room. I, I remember my mom and dad dancing in our living room to like Chuck Berry and the, the soundtrack for American Graffiti and all those kind of records and LPs. And I think on this Father's Day, that, that memory of my dad's laughter it is a great place to begin because to the dads in the room, this Father's Day message is very, very simple. You're welcome. But this message comes down to, some, the wives laughed a little too hard at that. <laughs> but this message for fathers comes down to a very, very simple thing. Dads, we need you. We need you. We need you on that wall. We need you on that front line in a world that many times has lost its mind. In a world of hurt and uncertainty, our kids need you. Our society, our world needs you as a dad to be who God's called you to be. And you get to play a role that nobody else gets to play. You get to fulfill an office and a calling that is absolutely sacred in its nature. And to get at this this morning, there's a passage of scripture that I want to begin with. It's found in Colossians chapter number three. Colossians is in the, the New Testament. You go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the Acts of the Apostles, and then Romans, and then First and Second Corinthians, and then you get into Paul's letters after Romans and First and Second Corinthians. There's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. The way that you can remember that order there, because it gets kind of confusing, and you don't want to look like you're going to the table of contents in church, is General Electric Power Company (GEPC). Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, chapter three. You don't have to tell anybody you're doing that. You just go, "Guys, so spiritual." But in Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. And, and he's explaining how the gospel impacts life. How the good news of Jesus changes everything. And specifically, in Colossians chapter 3, he talks about dads. This is what the Bible says. It says, fathers, 
Do not aggravate your children. Some of you younger folks probably right now are thinking, I should memorize more scripture. <clears throat> Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Now, that's kind of self-evident, isn't it? I mean, if you aggravate your kids, that doesn't mean, of course, that we're supposed to be friends with our kids. I just want my kids to be friends with me. Oh, man. That, that, is, that is so, what's, what's the word? Stupid. It's dumb <laughs> to want to be friends with your kids. Now, that doesn't mean that you ought to be a jerk. It says, do not aggravate. Other translations will say, do, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Exasperate's a good word, isn't it? Now, kids, I want to remind you and just encourage you before you go home, don't go home and say, Father, do not exasperate me. <laughs> but when we talk about dads not exasperating, not aggravating their kids, it's obvious, isn't it? The ditches are littered by, with, with kids and families who went by the wayside because their dads didn't understand the job. They didn't understand the role of being a father. And so as a result, most of the time without trying to, they ended up aggravating their kids. And, and aggravated kids, like aggravated moms, like aggravated people, get discouraged. They're kind of like, man, what are we doing here? What, what, what's going on? Is dad getting ready to go off? Or, or is, is dad even with us here today? Or well, what's going on? So this idea to not aggravate our kids or else they will become discouraged is something that we can look at and go, I get that. That, that makes sense. But I'm, I'm a dad, and I need, I need it broken down. I, I need it simplified for me. So it's important, I think, to not aggravate our kids, but what does that mean I ought to do? If, if I'm not supposed to aggravate them, what am I supposed to do? And so what I want to do is I want to take a little bit of a risk. I'm not rewriting scripture. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I don't need that kind of pressure in my life. But I do want to take the inverse of this verse and talk about what it what it looks like, because I would say that you could make a strong biblical argument to say that the command of God for fathers is, fathers do motivate your children, and they will become encouraged. I like to say encouraged rather than encouragement. Encouragement sounds like a Hallmark card. That's just kind of like, hey, you hang in there, buddy, you know, like a little kitten on a pull-up bar or something like that. Don't nobody have time for that. I want Emily and Joseph to leave my house with courage to be the people God created them to be. And so as a dad, if I'm not going to aggravate them, I think my, my calling, my job biblically is to motivate them and to fill them with courage and to tell them, I believe in you and to prepare them and to bestow upon them adulthood and to get them ready I heard somebody say this months ago, and I believe it with everything I have. Your mom is the one who will tell you, honey, I believe in you. But your dad is the one who needs to say, prove it to me. 
There's something to be said for that, for the dad who says, yeah, I believe in you, but I need to see you. You need to see you actually do it and live this life. And so I think for those of us as dads, this is our calling, is to motivate our kids, to equip them, to prepare them, as I've said multiple times, to one day move out of our houses. That ought to get an amen out of somebody. To, to, to move out and, and be able to live the life God created them to live. Because when it's all said and done, moms and dads, we're just stewards. We're just stewards who have been entrusted with these gifts and these lives for 18 or 21 or 40 years, however long it works in your household. But at a certain point, they got to go do their thing. And so on this Father's Day, how do you, how do you motivate your kids? I, I think the first thing that, that God would tell us as dads is that we've got to model for our kids the life that God wants them to live. They need to see in us what that looks like because of all the things that we're going to equip our children with, that we're going to pass down to them, the things they're going to walk out of our house with are going to be much more caught than taught. You know, I, I know when Emily and Joseph, they, they love it whenever I say, hey, kids, we need to have a talk. They're like, oh, great, dad's going to share some wisdom with us. Awesome. Or not. But they watch every word that comes out of my mouth, every action, everything that I do. And so as a dad, I've got a model for them. I think, first of all, integrity. The first thing that a dad has to model is that he is a man of integrity. That means that you are a relentless truth teller, that you don't cut ethical corners, that, that, that they know that your yes is yes and your no is no, that you model that kind of integrity for them, that as a, as a dad, you never say the following words, don't tell your mom. Well, only about two people laughed at that. But you know, really and truly, to, don't tell your mom. That's, here, here's the reality about guys, okay? Every, every guy in here, every healthy, well-adjusted male over the age of, let's say, 30, has an 11-year-old boy in him. Does somebody want to help me preach that? I'm just guessing. That, that's just kind of in us, and that's okay. We laugh at inappropriate jokes and, and noises that shouldn't be made in public and mixed company. That's just, that's a guy thing. And so a lot of times, remember when you were a, when you were a kid, you, you like to get away with stuff. You like to, you like to do stuff and, and get away with it, but the Apostle Paul says, because of the gospel, when I became a man, I put away childish things. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I acted like a child. But now that I'm an adult, I speak like a man. I act like a man. I'm a man of integrity. You've got to model that. You've also got to model faith for your kids. They, they've got to see you living out your personal relationship with Christ. Now, I know right now somebody's going, well, I, I think you ought to put faith first there. You know, you're going to model integrity and then faith. That seems like it's out of order to me. <laughs> Here's the deal, though. If you don't model integrity, they'll never listen to you talk about faith. 
They're going to see how you act, and then they're going to decide if this whole Jesus thing actually works based on what they see out of your life, Dad. So you start with integrity, but you don't just leave it there. You get to lead your kids. The greatest joy I know as a father of anyone I've ever talked to is the opportunity to see their kids come to accept Christ personally and make their faith their faith, that it becomes real because of what they've seen in their home and the way that they've seen their dad pray, the way that they've seen their dad make church a priority for the family and for the home. And it's real. It's not just because, well, we just go to church. <laughs> but it's, it's real. It's a part of that muscle memory. And people are like, well, I don't want to force my kids to go to church. Can I ask you a question? Do your kids want to go to school every day? What if you said, you know what? That's fine. I understand. I don't want to force them into learning and going to school. It's illegal, but that's okay. Don't do that. As a parent, as a dad, our greatest responsibility is to bring our children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, to show them that this God thing is the best option out there. And so they see that model. They see it lived out. And then they also see us model work, that as a man, you work hard. James Taylor had a great album title about 40 years ago, Dad Loves His Work. It's a great title, isn't it? Our kids need to see us work hard. They don't need to see us workaholic, but they need to see us work and apply ourselves and provide. The Apostle Paul said in Timothy, any man who does not provide for his family, and especially his immediate family, is worse than an unbeliever. This is a spiritual thing. Now, you can also use work as a crutch, and you can work too much because, let's be honest, work is easier than family. Am I crazy? No. Am I right or am I right? I'm right. I know men that work because it's a reprieve. It's easier. You, you have people that you can hire and fire. You can't fire your kids. I've tried. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Mostly. So, so work matters, but people, people hide behind. I'm providing. I'm a provider. Okay, great. What are you providing? Is it just money? Or are you providing an example? Are you providing a presence in the home? So we, we model that for them. Also, as, as a parent, once we've modeled, we also get to teach. As a dad, you get to teach. You get to teach your kids the truth of Scripture. You get to show them this is what God says in the Bible, which, by the way, means you need to know what it says. I need to know that stuff. That's what life groups are for. That's what Bible studies are for. That's what weekend gatherings are for. We know how to respond to the evil of Charleston in our homes because of what we've learned from Scripture. We're able to teach our kids that is evil. That is not of God. That's not who God is. That's not how he operates. Racism is a cancer among humanity. We don't operate that way in our household. We, we get to teach our kids that. 
And after we teach them the truth, then we get to teach them about life. We, we get to show them how life works best. One of the best things you can teach your kids is that marriage is fun. Marriage is fun. Not one single amen. That is sad. You know how you teach your kids that marriage is fun? You date your wife. You date the mother of your children. The Bible says, may you enjoy the wife of your youth. <laughs> date her. Take her out. Kids will be fine. That's why God invented Easy Mac. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. You teach your kids this. You teach your kids about life. As a dad, one of the best things I ever did was teach Joseph how to light the barbecue grill. And it ain't gas. It's charcoal. It's hard. It's the way God wants meat cooked. But you know what now? And I, I waited too long. He was in high school before I taught him. I, I could have taught him that in late elementary school, middle school. Charcoal. Fire. <clears throat> now I can call him on the way home. Joe, light the fire. Yes, sir. But you teach him about life. You show him how it works and what's going on. That's our job. That's, that's what we do. Most of you know that our kids are college age at this point. Joseph just graduated high school. Two months, Julie and I are empty nesters. I don't know where we're going. We'll probably be here most Sundays. <laughs> Maybe. But as he's getting ready to leave for, for college, his sister's two years ahead of him, I find myself kind of going, all right, is he ready? Have I... Have I Taught him and showed him what he needs to know. I mean, you know, how teaching those things. I said a few minutes ago that this is a sacred role. That this is a, a job created by God. And that's true. But why? Why is, why is there a sacred nature to this dad thing. Julie and I have friends who live in South Florida, David and Lisa Hughes, and they pastor a phenomenal church down there, Church by the Glades. And on their staff is a young couple that has been married for a number of years. And they have prayed about having kids of their own. They've, they've gone to see doctors. They've wrestled with infertility like so many people. They've talked about potentially adopting a baby and decided not yet. But about two months ago, a doctor called Church by the Glades and said, I have a patient who's delivering a baby in about five weeks. And she's going to put this baby up for adoption, but she wants to do everything she can to ensure that it goes to a good home, that the baby goes to a good home. She shouldn't call a baby it. But she said, would you know somebody? And the person answering the phone immediately called Lisa Hughes. 
Lisa didn't finish the conversation before she hung up and started calling Matt and Summer Boone. Matt and Summer are on their staff. I've got a picture, I think, of Matt and Summer. Matt, you, that, that's a man's man right there. Look at that beard. It goes down to here. I mean, he, he's, he's in line to, to be in a ZZ Top reunion when ZZ Top's too old to be playing anymore. About, anyway, Matt and Summer are awesome. And they began to pray about whether or not to adopt this baby. They'd never met the mom, didn't even know anything about it. All of a sudden, this baby is a potential reality in their lives. And so after praying about it, thinking about it, seeking counsel, talking to people, Matt and Summer decided, we'll adopt this baby. And about three weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, in the middle of the night, Matt and Summer got a phone call. The mother was in labor, and the baby was on the way. Now, in Florida, the way this works is all of the documents and, and legal provisions for adoption are executed before the baby is born. But there's one document that the mother cannot sign until the baby is born to make sure that she wants to go through with the adoption. And so Matt and Summer went to the hospital waiting, praying, and wondering if she would sign that final document. The baby was born healthy, a baby girl, and the mom signed that final document and Matt and Summer Boone became parents, adoptive parents of baby Selah. And so this Father's Day, Matt is dad to baby Selah. That is a holy calling. Not only because of the circumstances around the birth of this baby, but because of what the Bible teaches us in Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians chapter 4, the Bible says, When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship or daughtership. Because, are you, because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Everybody say the word Abba. 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 ABBA is not just a great band from Sweden. <laughs> ABBA is, a, is an Aramaic word from the first century. And father kind of begins to get at the idea behind ABBA. But in English, we would say the word ABBA is dad. Even maybe daddy. That 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 term of affection, that term of intimacy. 
with the father figure you trust, with the one who provides, the one who models, the one who teaches, the one who loves, the one who leads, the one who equips, the one who comforts. Dad. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. In this moment, I know that when we talk about Father's Day, it can be a dicey conversation because though most of our dads do the best they can, none of our dads is perfect. Except for our Heavenly Father. The one who chose to adopt us through Jesus. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that sonship, that daughterness with God, then on this Father's Day weekend, we want to invite you to do exactly that, just to pray right where you're sitting. Just silently a prayer of commitment to say, just praying to Jesus, just say, Jesus, I need you. I want to be a son. I want to be a daughter of my heavenly Father. And so I commit my life to you. Once and for all, holding nothing back. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. I want to ask you just for a moment to keep your heads bowed your eyes closed, not moving around for any reason because this is sacred ground. But if you just prayed that prayer and you meant it for the first time in your life, I want to ask you to mark this moment because it's the most important moment of your life. If you would just mark this moment and hold your hand up high over your head for just a moment to say, I'm in. I've received adoption. And I want you to know that we want to be a family of faith for you. We're not a perfect family by any stretch, but it's a safe place to grow in your relationship with Christ, to discover what it means to be a son or a daughter of God himself, the heavenly, perfect Father. And so we honor this moment in your life. We celebrate it with you. As you put your hands down, we like to put our hands together to tell you welcome home. Welcome home.